Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy Nelson from The Next Real Film Podcast. And today we're talking about Minute 25, which begins with Volstagg shouting to run and ends with the ice giving way. Joining us on the show today, sadly for the last time this week, but I believe uh, coming back later in our season. Yes. It's Cass Fredrickson from the Lord of the Rings Minute. Hello. Cass, what's kind of been your overall sense of these five minutes? We've gotten to go into great detail about. I will say that I had a lot of fun rewatching it earlier today because it'd been a while mm-hmm. since I've seen this first one. But part of the reason why I wanted to be on this first, like, like the Asgard portion of, of Thor is because mm-hmm. I think I've seen the first 30 minutes of this movie at least a hundred times. Um, mm. This wow. the, <laughs> this was one of my comfort movies when I was going through a, a bad time. So I would like turn it on and then go to sleep. And so I was always kind of awake for the first 30 minutes of this. And then I'd like conk out when he was on earth. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but I, um, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm actually impressed with the, what this fight does and how much it communicates to us mm. in a short amount of time. Yeah, I think there's there's very little dialogue that's been spoken during these five minutes. Yet you know, we've had so much to talk about because there's been just with the great shots and and reactions and mm-hmm. and special effects. So much has has happened, and we get into all that just have this quick moment. Marvel Movie Minute is an independent podcast from True Story FM. We really love doing this show. We have so much fun talking about Thor. Uh, it's It's been a great exploration over the last three films and now this one, but it does take time and cost money. Without our members, for whom we are eternally grateful, we could not keep this going. Membership means that we can keep delivering content to you without selling your information and interest through podcast advertising sources. We like our privacy. We know you like your privacy. If you're already a member, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you're not, would you please consider becoming one for the season? It only costs $5 per month, or you can get a discounted price if you join at the annual rate. You'll get bonus episodes, early access to shows, access to live streams, stickers, and more. Plus, you get the comfort of knowing that you are supporting this independent podcast production. Visit truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute to learn more. Thanks. So once more, I feel like this is now going to be the crowning thing we've built up to of Thor's just being not only utterly oblivious, but completely oblivious to the needs of his friends. Because mm-hmm. uh, everyone is running, the monster is chasing them, but Thor is just fighting. He He's just completely unaware that this is happening. Mm-hmm. He, he really is just the oblivious uh, fighter at this point. I mean, he he knows they're running. He told He said, then right. go. So obviously he's uh, kind of sent them on their way, but he's just as much a berserker as that one who charged Loki. It's mm-hmm. just he's standing yeah. still and letting them come to him and he's just taking them out. Especially because one thing I'm thinking about now is, um, this is before you came on cast, but you probably remember it having seen it so often, Heimdall gave that very important warning of, I will not open the Bifrost if you will bring something with you that will mm-hmm. threaten Asgard. Mm-hmm. I think Heimdall, when he said that, had big Yoden monsters like this very much in mind and <laughs> it's hot on their tail until i mean it falls to the ice at the end but like as they're running i don't kind of know where they're running to because they have to know like 
the Bifrost ain't opening right now. Well, my sense of what's happening here, and, and again, this is just my guess. They, there's mm-hmm. a Bifrost landing site. And again, I, I don't know why Heimdall has to pick like one spot. And that's where I pick you up from. That's the only place you can come to, like an airport. Like, I, I don't get that <laughs> as far as the Bifrost goes. Um, like, why can't he just pick them up from where they are if they call him? Uh, I, I don't completely understand that. But that that is my sense of what's actually happening here. They've left the central plaza at in the front of Utgard Hall. They're running through the ruins of Utgard, trying to get back to the Bifrost landing site. Mm-hmm. Again, I just don't understand exactly why, but that's that's my sense of what they're trying to do. The thing that doesn't make sense to me, and maybe one of you two can explain it, is Thor is obviously not bored because the Frost Giants are just running right into his axe. And his, uh, sorry, hammer. his hammer, hammer. This time I caught myself. Thank you. Thor is not good enough to be a dwarf by any means. Um, but like, you know, <laughs> at one point he's even like just he's spinning it on the ground and kicking up ice shards and they're just running. It's almost lemming like. Is this because the frost giants are just too stupid to think about it? Is it because this is actually the whole plan is to keep Thor distracted so the beast can hunt down the friends? What it just looks kind of ridiculous to me that they're all charging in, having seen all their friends like you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over again, expecting a different result. They've seen what happens when people charge into Thor, yet they all keep doing it. Quantity over quality, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, but that speaks to Laufey as the as their king. Yeah. Like, I mean, he released the, the Frost Beast to go chase after the bulk of Thor's team. But he, I mean, presumably is still standing up in his, uh, you know, box, kind of observing what's going on. And I would think that he would try to do something else to help the rest of these people, or at least command them to stop and, and hold, or do something else. I, it's it's strange to me. From, like, the way that I'm reading it, where Laufey is testing Thor, the limits of what Thor can do, like, it's, it's very... Uh, pardon the pun cold-hearted of him to kind of just send all (laughs) send all of his men to die in this way but i think he is very much like seeing like the limits of of thor's power because he's never encountered thor before and i so i i think i want to be careful we don't assume that laufey is like moving every chess piece on this board you Mm -hmm. know like he kind of did that subtle look to he certainly freed the beast it it may be that he like they all were ready like they thought you know thor might come at some point let's be ready but I don't know how much he has control over it versus this just is all of their pent up rage and aggression yeah. that he kind of wishes he could control more. Because you're right, it very well could be exactly that, or it could be him being like, "Nope, stop, guys, this is not going to work." Yeah. Like, <laughs> but it does. It does keep Thor from joining the fight against the Beast. Yeah. Which is important because at the very end, Thor is the one to defeat the Beast almost by accident. Yeah, there will be something that we'll be talking about. Yeah, next certainly time. in a coming minute. And so now we get to see the heroes running, and I, I love this kind of shot, like, over, it looks like we're seeing this through Fandral's eyes, as mm-hmm. he's, like, over Volstagg's shoulder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Sif is almost hit by the tail. What, what's kind of your feel on, like, on, on this, these seconds we get of them all running away and the beast keeping to, like, it almost gets Hogan, it almost gets Sif? They run really fast, these yes. Warriors <laughs> 3. <laughs> they, like, because that that beast is like galloping after them and they are they managed to stay like ahead of it for most of it mm-hmm. I, I really like seeing it through fandril's eyes because it's kind of like um he's like a bystander in the fight now so i right. i like that perspective 
plus he's the only one that's looking backwards so it's like very convenient for him to be like "Uh oh mm-hmm. <laughs> it's gaining yeah. on us <laughs> and again it's so fandral to just kind of laugh at it you mm-hmm. know it's it's yeah. like you know that's what he's been doing every time we see him in the fight it's that it's that errol flynn style of his i really right. love josh dallas as fandral like i'm, I'm sad that he's like replaced in the sequels because and, and zachary levi does a good job but like i really like josh dallas <laughs> fandral mm-hmm he he does seem like just so perfect for the role. Yeah. You know, he's pretty enough to make the narcissist point make sense. Mm-hmm. And he's just clearly, I feel like in some ways, like he gets Thor more than most of the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting because he also seems like he's a little bit more contemplative than the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, to your point, though, I wonder, I don't really know exactly, but I wonder if he signed on to the script because there had been a lot more work for Fandral to be doing as part of this whole Warriors 3 with the different comedy bits and all that. And I wonder if that's what drew him to the script. And then the fact that they whittled so much of that out and his part became so much more diminished over the course of it. I mean, again, I'm a little frustrated by the Warriors 3 and it largely as to how they're depicted and I don't have a huge problem with what Brana did, mm-hmm. but I can get it as an actor. Like if that was my part and now I'm left like, well, I don't I don't want to continue the part. I'd rather take this TV show because I'm going to have a lot bigger, a lot more stuff to do, a bigger part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that makes a lot of sense. I think it's very sensible. And so now we get to see the third special attack that Mjolnir has mm-hmm. um, that you can, you know, spin it really fast. And not only do you get to kick up ice shards into the eyes of your opponent, but you can then kind of like reach up to the heavens and uh, bring the lightning down, really. I, I do love this because this is really kind of like this is his power attack. You know, this is like you've you've been holding the button down a long way, charging him up. And and this now I think we really get to see like he's not just a guy who can hit people hard. Like he can literally control. He is the god of lightning and thunder. I think it's really smart of them to hold that really iconic power back until like minute 25 because and. Like, we can see what he can do. We can see what the hammer can do. Like, they're really showing off the the effects. I'm really impressed with how good the CG still looks after 10 years uh, yeah. for some of this. So I think it's really smart of them to finally be like, okay, here is the lightning. Like, this is the thing that you guys were are ostensibly here to see. It's very cool. And I, I also, I find it really... Uh, I, I love the way that it looks that it's like he's pulling the lightning down mm-hmm. out of the sky and the way that he like he doesn't strike the ground with the head of the hammer. He like brings the hammer straight down and hits the ground with the end of the handle mm-hmm. as and, and that's kind of like the way he pulls it down. And I just I don't know. I find the way that that looks just so interesting and fascinating because it, it just it seems different. Like that's not mm-hmm. what I would expect, but it actually ends up feeling Right, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. When, I, when I tried doing it, that's what I would have done. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the shots they do here are all so effective because we kind of mentioned this before, but, you know, leading up to that moment, as we are watching the friends run away and watching the beast chase them, you're still seeing Thor fading into the background, you know, and this is kind of what Anna, you were referencing before, that at this point, there's two totally different battles happening. Mm-hmm. You know, Thor against the Frost Giants and the Beast against his friends. And to me, it just, again, highlights, like, that Thor isn't paying attention, but also that, like, you know, th- this is why the friends are in danger, like, because they don't have this, you know, uh, lightning god with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, exactly. Although what he does does help them, and I think this is a, a kind of a, a really fun moment. You know, he, the lightning hits the ground, all the frost giants near him get blasted back. 
which this is one of Marvel's favorite shots, by the way, the number of times like Thor does this or Cap slams his shield into the ground or something and like everyone gets blasted back. Um, but then it like it sends this just big crack through the ice. The ice starts falling apart. And, you know, to Fandle's delight, it seems like the beast is falling through the crack, you know, to, to fall to its doom. Mm-hmm. Of course, we I, might find out that's not the case, but certainly <laughs> that's what it seems like in that one moment. I mean, part of me struggles with this. I mean, okay, Thor didn't know how damaged the planet of Jotunheim was. Right. Like, he, he doesn't know that this entire planet is very fragile because the casket of ancient winters has been removed and it's kind of crumbling into space, basically. Mm-hmm. I... I don't think that he expected when he called the lightning down to take out the the Jotuns that were around him that it was going to basically send shockwaves across the entire surface of the area and that I don't think he knew that the planet, or, or at least this particular point, like, essentially, I, I don't know if it was it's hollow, but I mean, there's definitely like a cave system underneath. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's part of the damage. I, I don't really have any sense of that. But that lightning i mean it's a serious it it does a lot of damage and it's i mean it's tearing everything apart and i mean (laughs) it's entirely possible that the entire utgard hall could collapse from what he just did that he could be buried i mean it's it's insane like how much damage could potentially be done from him doing this that that could really i mean it it could lead to a lot more destruction than we're even seeing here I mean, oh yeah, it's, for it's sure. Insane. I mean, yeah. like I can't give him credit here for saving his friends. I think that it, <laughs> no. it could have just as easily been that his friends fell through a crevice. Right. Up. Yeah. You know, it is sheer. I think kind of Thor gets by. A lot of lucky things happen to him, but it's sheer dumb luck that he takes out the beast. And at first, there's, cause there's another scene that the last scene is of, um, you know, the the floor giving way. And you see people who are running, falling. And at first I thought it was the friends until I noticed that in that shot, you can see four people or five people much further away continuing to run. So mm-hmm. we know it's the friends are getting away. And I just love that shot because it's such a great way of establishing what's happening. What I didn't realize when you see that shot is that you're like, oh, there are not it's not just the Jotun beast that's chasing after all of them. But there are I mean, it seemed like all the frost giants basically were focused on Thor. But you find out, oh, no, there are frost giants all over the fields outside of uh, Utgard that are also pursuing them. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's amazing how many frost giants apparently are still around on the planet because i mean they're everywhere and they're all kind of at this point now falling uh because the planet is kind of falling apart here Mm -hmm. i I gotta say though this this is one of these fights that really frustrates me because of how everybody's running and and it seems like the jotun beast keeps overtaking them but then we cut back to them later and it's like the jotun beast is far behind and it's (laughs) overtaking them again and it's like come on <laughs> like we saw it catch up already and i i get frustrated with that fight yeah. uh that style of of storytelling here mm-hmm. but i mean it still looks cool and as long as you're not thinking about it i guess it's okay as long as you're not analyzing it minute by minute <laughs> right <laughs> exactly right. i mean it definitely feels to me like i love the idea of a shakespearean trained actor and director directing an action movie mm-hmm. but brana himself said like he doesn't do action movies. This is new for him. And I feel like if you have, like, if there's two parts to this movie, the action scenes or the, like, family dynamic Shakespearean aspects, 
I'm glad they went with a guy who's more on the like the family dynamic side. But every now and then, I feel like we get a reminder of this is not a guy who's directed action scenes, mm. you know, because like, I think you're right. There's a level of consistency that we've come to expect from these big budget movies that some of these fight scenes just don't really have. Well, and oftentimes, I mean, you know, for these films, they'll bring on like a second unit director who's handling a lot of this sort of stuff. So it could be that uh, not even the the director's fault. It could be that Marvel and and Feige and team, they're learning like what sort of right. uh, what what is the sort of second unit director we need to bring on to handle the construction of the action to make sure that uh, who's also working with Brana, of course, and the directors, but making sure that it is kind of. Um, kind of hitting the standards that they're uh, that that we've all come to expect. That being said, I'm really curious to get into stuff like going on in Endgame and watching like through that fight scene and going, none of this makes sense. They were over there, now they're over here. <laughs> Who edited I mean, this? <laughs> at, at this pace, you get to talk about it in um, 2040, I think. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just a, a few more years to prep for it. <laughs> a lot of movies to go. Uh, if you if you thought taking on Lord of the Rings was a big <laughs> big encounter, wow, yeah. Uh, all right, well, so I think that kind of wraps up this uh, minute. There's a couple of like little things that we might want to mention. Um, uh, Andy or Cass, do you have any kind of like, last little things to to bring up about this minute? I just kind of was thinking about like again how much this this fight kind of tells me about all these different characters like not only their fighting style but like w- how they kind of view battle like Fandral's always laughing like Volstag is very um physical and like Thor the big one is Thor doesn't know when to call it quits right like Thor doesn't know when to retreat and then that is like a big thing mm-hmm. in the 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 final set piece of this movie where he's like you know, actually being a leader and leading his friends not into trouble, but out of trouble. Because um, yeah. right now, all he's doing is leading them into trouble. And he's just like, okay, every every person for themselves. Have fun. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. And it, it's funny, because as you, as you say, we learn quite a lot about um, Volstagg and Fandral by mm-hmm. how they handle this battle. In an earlier week, we talked about how in a lot of ways, the character of Sif is really kind of disappointing because she's kind of that, like, look, it's a badass warrior and she kicks ass and she's pretty, but she's badass. So don't ever, like, think she's just a, like, fetching young maiden. And that's a personality. Like, they don't actually write anything else to her. And um, I, I-, I wish that we'd gotten, as well as from Hogan, like, yeah. I feel like we really get a lot of those two. And maybe Hogan's, like, the quiet, efficient killer, so we don't, there's not much to do, but... I would have liked if we got a little bit more of, of him and Sif yeah. in this fight. I um I don't know that I agree that Sif is um like cookie cutter, like, you know, capital strong woman, you know what I mean? Um strong female character. But because I think that there is um and um oh the actress's name is Jamie Alexander, yes. Yeah. Um I yep. I think she does a lot of like good stuff with with the performance but i also like i'm sad that uh, some some of the character moments with the warriors three and like her like some of her dialogue gets cut um because i was watching the deleted scenes earlier i understand why the character stuff for like the 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 warriors three and sif were the first things to go because it doesn't really further our plot um 
but I'm always really frustrated when they cut like character moments and stuff because it like it's really cool like I said like seeing a a warrior woman who is like badass but she's also like feminine and she she doesn't like she gets in there like she's really like in your face about the her combat style um so I think and especially when this came out I don't think that was the case at the time I think now 10 years later it's kind of like uh you know this could be better but I think at the time like I I remember really being impressed with like with Sif and and Jane too but no and that's definitely fair we, we've talked before about how it's funny 10 years doesn't seem that long ago but so much has changed yes. in movie making especially yeah. in MCU making and uh, we referenced it before but even just saying like Sif is not a warrior in the Norse myths mm-hmm. uh, she's Thor's wife mm-hmm. and the the worst thing that you can do to her is cut off her hair because mm-hmm. she's very kind of vain about her appearance so so yeah I, I do like that I think for its time, I think this was a very, like, it was a good step forward, mm-hmm. but I think we'd expect more from a, a strong woman character today. Mm-hmm. Well, let's hope, like, now with the way that, uh, you know, storytelling has evolved and, and we've had st- uh, much better depictions of female heroes mm-hmm. on screen, I, I think Wonder Woman's a great example, that have done a little bit more than just kind of paint that same sort of uh, typical thing. And so, I mean, Sif is going to be back in Thor Love and Thunder, uh, you know, so here's hoping that they find us a better way to kind of write this character to give us a little more with her in that Mm -hmm. film. Especially because I I think we've seen this a little bit. We see it more when like Jane comes into the picture later in the movie, you know, like I said, they're married in the, they're married in Norse mythology. There are a couple of times where Sif gives Thor a look that makes me wonder, like, has she always had a crush or did they like have a history or, and it'd be kind of fun if like that gets explored a little bit more, not to kind of, I, I definitely do not want a romantic triangle, right, yeah. like <laughs> such an awful uh movie trope, but just to get more of a sense of like, where is Sif coming from, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, there is a little bit of that in Dark World, yeah, you know, at that's the, true. early on with uh, when Frigga's talking to her, so... I'm sure uh, you said word words about a word. I don't know of any movie by that name. So, uh, <laughs> oh, I am a dark you. world apologist. I <laughs> oh boy, I love that movie. It's um, I, I think you, it's better than Iron Man too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> close, very close. Uh, but but Andy, you may have found one of your hosts for Thor: Dark World because yeah, you ain't getting me on that. Oh side. no, really? <laughs> I mean, I would do it if you don't mind me basically doing a riff tracks approach to it. You know, of just like right. let's talk about how bad this movie is. Every yeah, I think it's. I think it's by far the worst, much worse than Iron Man uh, 2. Oh, wow. I don't think but, it's that bad. I I, I kind of like it, too. So I think I, that oh, okay. Iron Man 2 and Incredible Hulk are both l- less fun than Dark World. Mm. I'm an Incredible Hulk apologist. Oh. I, I really enjoy I enjoy that film. That I'm also a fan of. But yeah, but just, I will happily listen to that podcast <laughs> and just not contribute and <laughs> not, not be a Debbie Downer. So anyway, I think we're pretty far into a slap happy land. So let's let's wrap this up. Uh, Andy, did you have any other kind of last things you wanted to comment on? Uh, the only other thing I had was when the Frost Beast falls off of the uh, crumbling wall there, um, it has its own little roar that it does as it falls. And I just can't help but think in some world, this is the Wilhelm scream of Frost Beasts. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Cass. It's been so much fun having you on all yeah, week. Yeah, thank you. Um, what's one thing that our listeners don't know about you yet that you want them to know in terms of like the kind of stuff you create or just anything random about you or? Um, I'm having a lot of fun asking questions that are putting you on the spot without my intention. So it's been kind of really, great. I'm really bad about talking about myself. Um, and 
I don't know. But uh, you will know way too much about me if you follow me on Twitter at Dark Hearted Rose. There you go. Um, there you so. go. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for being a part of this. Thank you to all our listeners. Andy, thank you so much for doing uh, so much to help make this happen. And all our listeners, as always, like, let us know what you think. You know, we love feedback. We love responses. Tell us what you think about this. Love to hear your thoughts. And of course, more than anything, the most important thing, have a nice day. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. True Story.